so it's hard for me, and I was reminded of this not long ago. I walk into a doctor's office, and HGTV is on. And uh, when uh, Stacy had a minor outpatient surgery uh, some months ago, uh, I remember HGTV being on in the in the doctor's office then, and sitting with. Uh, some of you all over the years are sitting with your loved ones while some of you had surgery. Uh, I, I, the number of times one of these these home channels was on. And it's kind of one of those things that they never have to worry about the kind of language that's going to be on there. They never have to worry about the content. And, uh, and I got to say, it's one of those things. I don't usually watch it when I'm at home. But sitting there in the doctor's office not that long ago, I was kind of, you know, sucked in by what Chip and Joanna were doing that day, you know? Uh, You know, because we can all relate, right? Because, you know, we either have homes or we've lived in a home and uh, maybe you've done maintenance on home, maybe you've done some construction work in the day. And so uh, me as a guy who barely knows a two by four from quarter round, uh, but but yet you're you're kind of drawn in. And so when that sweet sister in Christ comes to the door and says, "Greg Smith, you know, like, hey, come on back, it's your time," and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed because I I wanted to see the finished product. You know, it's like really, I, 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 come on, like, just. Tell the doctor to wait, you know, I, I, about 10 more minutes and I'll see the big reveal and I'll see what they were able to pull off here. But it's, it's true that a lot of us, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but we can kind of get sucked into watching some of this because we like this idea of, well, it used to look like this and now, whoo, it looks like this. And so we get to see what, church? We get to see transformation. And you get to see it all within a 60-minute period, you know. Uh, there's this amazing transformation that takes place. And, and uh, whether it's uh, DIY or HGTV and whether they're building barns or cabins in the woods or they've got a show that's dedicated to just homes built out of stone, uh, haven't seen that one, but I saw it on the lineup when I was kind of doing some research for today. And, uh, and then I was reminded of the times that I would watch this old house on PBS. Those of you that remember Bob Vila, uh, he was a television pitch man some years ago. But this is actually the show where Bob Vila got his start was on PBS's This Old House, a show that... I, I came to find out that has been on the air now for over 40 years. So over four decades of showing people uh, how to take something that looks like this and make it into something that is all the better. And so one thing you learn about watching some of these shows is, and something I remember my dad talking about, uh, in his in his shop when he would be making a set of cabinets is that things need to be square. You know, you want it to be square. And if you're ever working on a building or working in a room, a house, that where it's not square, then that's the kind of thing that makes 
the worker, the builder, that makes the, makes the person kind of cringe somewhat. Because they want everything to be nice and square. And how do you do that, church? Well, you start with the foundation. Jesus, even in his teaching, as he concluded the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he gives us this illustration about how important the foundation is. And he tells us, well, there was a wise man who built his house on what, church? On rock. And then there's the foolish man who builds his house on sand. And so one foundation is able to withstand the rains when they come and the storm. And the other foundation, built on something that is much weaker, on something that is not solid or firm at all, uh, doesn't survive. It doesn't stand the test of time. And so Jesus himself, always using examples that he knew people could relate to, uses the example of building and how you have to have a proper foundation. And so they would lay a cornerstone. And that cornerstone was very important because it was from that cornerstone that you could ensure, if it was done properly, that the structure would indeed be square. And so then along came the, uh, the trend, you might say, uh, of putting something on that cornerstone. Uh, this, uh, not sure how well you can read it. Oh yeah, yours is nice and clear. Uh, Meriwether Lewis High School, 1927. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, have seen, uh, have seen that stone. And uh, up there at what was once the high school, uh, now uh, the old oldest part, I guess, of the middle school. And so 1927, what is that, 94 years ago? And incidentally, that was the same year that this auditorium was rebuilt uh, after a fire. And so uh, ours, obviously, uh, out here on the corner, uh, was laid before... Uh, duct work and uh, central air conditioning became a reality. But nonetheless, uh, we have one on the corner of this building as well. And so that takes us to now uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And I want us to look at uh, the last verses of that chapter in Ephesians. Paul talking to the folks in Ephesus and of course talking to us today. Last week we talked about how our citizenship is in fact in heaven. And Paul sort of alludes to that again in this passage of scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me. Consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so what is Paul talking about here? 
He's talking about, well, there's the individual who is a dwelling place for God's Spirit. But when he talks about being built together, he's talking about his church. He's talking about the the church, how we together are being built together, this holy temple. We know that what is precious to God is not the brick and mortar. It's not the 94-year-old plaster or anything like that. It's not the furniture that's in the place. No. What is precious to God is, of course, the souls that gather for worship in this place. Because the church can be the church whether there's a building here or not. The church can be the church whether it's meeting in homes or whether it is going out and about on a Sunday afternoon to deliver food to families who could use it in the name of Christ Jesus. And so he is reminding us <clears throat> that, uh, that Jesus himself, though, is that chief cornerstone. And uh, alluding to one of the many places I was surprised to find in Scripture where that term cornerstone is mentioned in regard to our faith. And as I've stated before, that any time we see something mentioned repeatedly in Scripture, it should make us aware of how important that is. Just like the number of times in Scripture that we are told that we're only going to be forgiven by the measure that we're willing to forgive others who may have wronged us. That that same measure is going to be used when we stand before God seeking forgiveness on the day of days. And so because that is repeated, it's stated in the Gospels, it's repeated over and over in various New Testament letters. And so we can take heart that that's important for us, that we need to be a people who forgive. But it's, it's also very important for us to realize and to remember that everything we do should be built on a foundation, built on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ, our resurrected Savior. And so, where this cornerstone uh, terminology first developed was in the Hebrew Scriptures. Scotty read this morning from Psalm 118 that mentions the cornerstone. And so, again, it's mentioned in Isaiah 28, 16. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Now, some translations say we'll never be put to shame. Uh, some say uh, we'll never have reason to fear. Or some allude to never have reason to flee or run. But it's this idea 
that when your faith is built on something so true and so strong that there is no need to panic in regards to our faith. Now, looking over at Acts chapter 4. Verses 8 through 12. Peter is addressing the the Jewish Sanhedrin, the ruling council here. It says, beginning with verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Amen, church? Yeah. That's one of those times, man, Peter, for all the things he got wrong when he was following Jesus, uh, he knows how to speak truth to power. He knows how to be bold when he needs to be bold. And uh, he just lays it out there so beautifully and quotes uh, Psalm 118 in the process. A scripture that they would have been familiar with having had access to all of the Hebrew scriptures at this time. And so he's able to use their own scripture, something off of one of the scrolls in one of their synagogues. And he's able to use that and say, hey... Look, he was here and you rejected him. But salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so we have uh, Peter laying out this idea that he is in fact the chief cornerstone. He is this most precious stone. Back when the Old West was being settled, pioneers flocked across the country to places like California and Oregon. One particular spot spot on the eastern slope of uh, the Rocky Mountains, there was this large dirt-covered rock protruding Uh, in the middle of a trail and as wagon wheels would go over this thing they would be broken and so uh, we know what it's like at least some of us know what it's like to have a flat tire and to have to pull over and change that tire and uh, and so it was it was no different back in the old west in the 1800s and so uh, this uh, this 
this rock happened to be on a prominent spot in the trail. And so countless numbers of wagons uh, were kind of derailed, kind of uh, uh, messed things up for them. And uh, they had to stop and make repairs and then other wagons behind them could not pass and it would hold up progress. And so finally someone uh, dug up the large stone and rolled it into a nearby stream. And so the stream was too wide uh, to jump over, but then people used the stone as a way of stepping across the cold creek. And it was used in that fashion for years until finally one settler built a cabin near that stream. And he moved the stone out of the stream and placed it in his cabin to serve as, of all things, a doorstop. As the years passed, railroads were built and towns sprang up and that particular settler's grandson went back east uh, to study geology. And uh, on a visit to his grandfather's cabin, he started examining the old uh, lump of stone and discovered within that lump of dirt and rock was a very large, pure gold nugget. And uh, one of the largest to ever be discovered on the eastern slope of the Rockies. It had been there for three generations and people never recognized its value. To some it was a stumbling stone to be removed. To others it was a stepping stone. And to others it was just a heavy rock. But this grandson finally saw it for what it really was, a lump of pure gold. And so we have to realize that Jesus is that same precious stone given to us. And I say this as we prepare for the holiday season. Went to visit some folks in our congregation last night and then on the way back from their house to mine. I couldn't help but notice and be a little bit surprised at the number of uh, houses that already had their Christmas lights up. And then I took note of how many houses I passed that already had their Christmas trees up. And no, this is not a lecture about how you should wait and put up your tree until after Thanksgiving. No. I mean, that's my preference. But that's of me and not of the Lord. But no, it's just a reminder of what season is upon us. That's why we're, after all, doing Sack the Pulpit today. Is because this Thursday is our Thanksgiving holiday. And that traditionally, in our culture, kicks off the holiday season that runs through New Year's. And so... We are going to be uh, talking about Christmas in the weeks ahead and what Jesus means to us. But church, I wanted to set it up with this message today, this lesson in which we're reminded. And I know the name on the building is Church of Christ. And I know... We pray in His name. We've sung songs that have His name mentioned over and over again. We've taken communion to remember His sacrifice and to celebrate the resurrection. 
But yet, I still feel like we need to be reminded from time to time that if Jesus is the foundation of our lives, if He is the foundation of our faith, then we are called to live according to that. Then we're called to live like saved people who understand that our entire lives now in Christ are built on this chief cornerstone. And so, looking ahead in Scripture, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to begin with verse 5. Paul is writing to the folks in Corinth and there's been some discussion about which particular leader they prefer or, uh, or who they, they you know, prefer to follow. And some in the church have said, well, I'm going to follow Apollos. And some have said, I'm going to follow Paul. And so uh, Paul is, is taken aback and he's kind of frustrated that they're, they're, picking, they're picking people who have, are picking an allegiance, choosing an allegiance to people who have come and taught them and preached to them. And so uh, he responds to that here, beginning with verse 5. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each of you should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now, let me just clarify this reference to fire. Unlike some references to fire, like in by Jesus when he's teaching in parables, uh, might represent judgment day and possibly even hell, torment. Uh, that's not what Paul is, is making reference to here. And so, he is is using a contrast here. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones. See, that's the kind of stuff that would have been found in the temple. The temple was adorned with such kind of, of building materials. 
Gold, silver, costly stones. And then he mentions wood, hay, or straw. And he's saying, hey, that the the, the costly stuff, the, the, the stone, the precious stuff, it'll stand up to a fire. But the wood, the hay, the straw, something comes along and it's not going to stand up. And so uh, Paul is, is reminding us that, and he uses even some of the language of transformation here, talking about building on it, and that it's ultimately God that gets the glory for what is built, that we start with a foundation and then something is built on it. And that's language, church, of transformation. That we start with something simple, a foundation, and then look what is built on it. Some of you, you started with a foundation. What is the foundation of your faith? Your confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then on that confession, look at where your faith has gone since then. Look at what your faith, what trials your faith has stood the test of. The tragedies that some of you endured. Some of the things that, that might, have, uh, might have destroyed someone's faith had it not been deeply rooted. But some of you have dealt with true heartache and loss and disappointment, tragedy. And so, but through that, your faith stood the test of time. Your faith stood and weathered all the storms. And so you look at where you started and then you look at maybe the fruit that your life has borne over the years. The classes you've taught, the people you have served, the people you've loved. Would that have been possible at one time? No. It was because what was built on that foundation, confessing Christ as Lord, has now become a life devoted to Christ. A life of Christian service in many cases. Church, that is transformation. That is building. But where does it start? With this wonderful foundation of Christ and Christ alone. As we conclude our time together this morning, I want us to look last at 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10. Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. 
They stumbled because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His, what church? His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen, church? That we have all received mercy. We praise God for that. And so, I pray that you will leave here today reminded that our faith, everything we do, everything we should be about, we should be remembering that our faith is built on something that is firm, on something that is true, that Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone. If you are with us this morning and you have not yet made the aforementioned uh, declaration, confession, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we offer the waters of baptism so that you can change your life once and for all and come out of that water resurrected as a new creation. If you're with us this morning, and you've got something that you would like for us to be praying with you about, then we offer the invitation for that reason as well, that you can come and share that need with us, that concern, and we will all pray with you together. Let's stand and sing this song.